0: Brother Philip is helping Christians in West Africa find emotional healing after going through experiences like this one.
1: I remember talking to a pastor, his village was attacked and and you know they brought all the villagers out, put them in a circle, you know, held up the machete, threatened them all. And I asked the pastor what he was thinking. He said I was just praying to God that my villagers' faith will hold strong in the face of of such a horrific act of violence. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.
0: Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton. Thank you for being with us this week. Last week, we began a conversation with a guest that we're just calling Brother Philip. He loves Jesus. He loves God's Word. He has also learned a lot in the field of trauma care and trauma recovery, including working with inmates in the U.S. prison system. He has brought all of that background and education and expertise to serve VOM, As a field minister in West Africa. Last week, Brother Philip began explaining the need for trauma care for our persecuted brothers and sisters in Africa. And we're going to pick up that conversation again this week. He told us that some people who face trauma have a lot of natural resilience. And I asked Philip whether followers of Jesus are more likely to have that resilience than non believers.
1: Well, I think you have to really dive deep into the essence of their faith. I've said it before that Africa is a land of epidemics. We have cholera epidemics, meningitis epidemics, all these epidemics. But I would argue that one of the most pernicious epidemics facing our continent today in Africa is an epidemic of bad theology. And a lot of it has come from the West. And it's a theology that says, if I do this, this, and this, bad things won't happen to me. And, 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 if, and if that's kind of your basis, if that's the basis for your faith, something like what this woman went through that I described earlier, uh, something terrible like a rape, or even something that's a little bit more benign like a car accident. If you think that your works are going to give you an easy life, I think that it's going to do the exact opposite. I think your life, at least on the emotional level, is going to get a lot harder Because unfortunately, many folks that believe along these lines, they really don't have an answer when bad, inexplicable, senseless things happen to them. And this is where we really need to get down to the core of of a good theology of of suffering in order to contextualize uh, the event in the larger scheme of living in a broken world.
0: What are the results spiritually when persecuted Christians... Overcome their trauma when they deal with their trauma properly. What are the the spiritual fruit that grows out of that? And and maybe you have some more examples. But what's what's the good news that comes out of the bad news of trauma?
1: It, it's incredible, Todd, and it's one of the things I just love the most about my job, and and really one of the things I love working about working with Christians uh, because the the focus for say a Christian psychologist is gonna be different than a secular psychologist. A secular psychologist for the most part is gonna be about reducing symptoms, right? Like a secular psychologist is is gonna say, let's help you with your nightmares. Let's help you with your panic attacks. Let's help you with uh, the fact that that you stay up all night checking the doors. A Christian psychologist is gonna really focus on the fruits of the spirit as kind of the measure by which uh, somebody has been healed from, from the trauma. And, and one of the biggest things that we see and we emphasize is forgiveness.
0: It's interesting because I, I wanted to ask, That's what, I've got it on my list of questions, like how does forgiveness play into this overcoming the trauma? Uh, because I think it, it has to be a part of it.
1: What I've seen is that it's absolutely indispensable towards healing. And and I know that's a, that's a pretty extreme statement there, but I I remember a man, once again, going back to, to some of these, uh, some of these folks I've been blessed to meet over the years. uh, This man, kind of a a similar situation. Rebels had moved into his village. He goes into the church, hides out in the church. He's a Christian man. The rebels follow him in the church. They, they kill his wife. They kill his brother. They kill his two children. A really bad, bad incident. He's left without a large part of his family. But he focused on his spiritual healing and went through one of our uh, VOM-sponsored workshops. And he said afterwards, he said, My thoughts and orientation in life is towards God and the cross of Jesus. And in my heart, I have been able to forgive those perpetrators totally. Wow. Now, you just think about the power of that. Somebody who shoots your family who says, I can forgive them totally. That's a man who's on the right track.
0: Amen. We're talking this week on Voices of Martyrs radio with Brother Philip. He is a field minister in West Africa helping us at VOM help persecuted Christians uh, address the trauma that they've experienced, address uh, the the next steps and moving on. Philip, you mentioned the the training sessions not just so that you have these tools, but you're putting these tools into the toolboxes of pastors and church leaders and others who are at the village level. They're seeing firsthand these experiences. Talk a little bit about that training and what it looks like and what the outcomes are.
1: Yeah, once again, something to get really excited about and and something that, that I'm really excited just for VOM and, and what we get to do. We're not, we're not doing the therapy ourselves. We're partnering with Africans or South Asians or, 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 or folks around the world who are doing it. And who better to do it than the folks who understand the culture, who understand the language, and who are spiritually mature. So, so we're doing these. And the, the real focus is on giving them good psychology, but also giving them good theology as well. And so we sponsor these trainings. They come in a number of different forms. A number of different curriculum is being used. But the end result is to hopefully focus on a more holistic form of healing than just emotional healing. So somebody can leave not only feeling emotionally healed, but spiritually healed, which itself then would lend itself towards physical healing as well. Because remember, in shame-based cultures, a lot of times you don't hear people say, I'm depressed or I'm anxious. They'll say, I've had a stomachache that won't go away for the past five years. Wow. The symptoms manifest physically mm-hmm. because the shame based culture says you are not allowed to feel this, but you can have a stomach ache. And so sometimes you'll see literally all three take place within the course of a one week healing, a one week uh, workshop, where they will leave feeling better physically because they've addressed the emotional and spiritual wounds.
0: How big of an issue is it? Because for most of our brothers and sisters who experience persecution, uh, it's not like they can move out <laughs> or go, you know, move to a different country, move to a safe place. They they still live in the village where they were attacked. They, in many cases, still see the people who attack them uh, f- from week to week. How... How big of a problem is that as, as you try to overcome your trauma, if you're still in the same place and you still see the people who traumatized you, how do you help people? And maybe it goes back to that forgiveness issue, but, but how do you help people who are still in that situation?
1: It's hard and there's, there's no easy answers. And I'll just be honest. You see the same person, sometimes even in church, who sexually assaulted your child and it's going to bring up some memories, and, and that's, where, that, that's why I say that, that forgiveness is really indispensable to this process. And, and we have to remember that forgiveness in the biblical sense is not saying that was okay. It's saying, I'm a sinner just like you, and it's by the blood of Christ that I was saved, that I was forgiven for my sins, and so I'm going to do the same out of obedience. And that's what happens. And it's really a beautiful process. It doesn't mean that they don't guard their children. It doesn't mean that they that, that they do anything foolish when they're around that person. It just means that emotionally, it's more of a clean slate.
0: We're talking this week on Voices of Artists Radio with Brother Philip from Africa. I think you can probably hear the frogs in the background. It's a lot warmer where you are than it is where I am today what has been the response of the people that you're providing this training to? Because I, I would just think they're so excited to be able to really minister and really help people through some of these challenges.
1: It, it really has been incredible. I, I want to throw out a number to you. The first, or a couple of numbers. The first number, one in 200,000, is the number of mental health professionals for every citizen in in uh, Burkina Faso. Wow. So one mental health professional for every 200,000. The second number, one in 700, that's the United States. One mental health professional for every 700 citizens. My point being is there's not a lot of help available. And, and so what do you do if you have this great emotional burden? You're living in the village. Only the rich have passports. So you're not leaving. And so, so what do you do? And what we're really working hard towards is empowering pastors because while a country like Burkina Faso might have one mental health professional for every 200,000 people, the evangelical association has 10,700 pastors. And that's not the only denomination. That's not the only association. There's others. So there's pastors. There's a lot of pastors. The problem, Todd is a lot of these guys they just haven't been trained. And it's not the seminary's fault. It's not anybody's fault. It's just there's, there's not the resources. And so we really try to get pastors to come to these workshops. Because if you can get a pastor trained, then think of the think of the reach there. Incredible reach because the pastors already come in, usually with pretty good theology. You give them a little bit of, uh, of Christian psychology and just think of the impact. And I remember I'm going to bring up another another story that I saw that was that was deeply moving. My colleague and I had been doing interviews all day of folks that were internally displaced. They had been pushed out by jihadists. Some really bad situations. But this was this was a very stoic culture. I didn't see a single tear shed, and we were talking to people for hours because crying just was not not viewed viewed as being a very good in that particular culture. A middle aged man comes in, big physically mad, just, just, just a strong man. You look like he would have been a, an American football player. And he comes in, and no sooner do we start the interview that he breaks down, gets on his knees, and just starts weeping. Wow. He's down there, totally uncharacteristic culturally for a man, a middle aged man to be on the floor weeping. He had not seen a single attack he was the pastor in a regional capital and the internally displaced people had all come to him. Oh, wow. And so day in and day out and day night, he's hearing the stories and he felt this amazing pressure to have the right Bible verse, to have the right prayer, to have the right word, because that's what, that's what he had been taught. He said, you have to be able to pray the right way. You have to be able to use the right passage of, of scripture and the pressure was breaking this man down, so so we brought him to this training, and he learned that all he has to do is listen. And his tears were not born out of suffering; they were born out of relief. He said, "Finally, this is how you be effective. This is how you comfort those who are in, in, in deep deep need." As as it says in Second Corinthians chapter one, this is this is how you how you provide that comfort. Sometimes the best tool you have is your ears, not your lips. And that was such a relief to this man that he was weeping.
0: What are the mechanics of getting pastors to these trainings? Is it something where you go out to the village? Is it something where you bring them to some kind of central location? Is it a week? Is it a month? What What are just the mechanics of, of doing that training? Even,
1: even nationals oftentimes can't go to these areas. These areas are too unstable. Uh, the, the country I referenced earlier, Burkina Faso, depending on which source you read, government really only has control of about 60% of the country. The other 40% are being controlled by, by rebels. And you think, you know, you apply that to like an American map and you think, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a big part of the country that you really shouldn't be going to. And so what we do, as an organization is, is, we pay for them and it's not very expensive. We pay for them to come to the capital city where it's secure. And here's, what's awesome. They come to the capital city and they go through a week long, uh, workshop where they, uh, w- where they receive the tools. And most importantly, they connect with other Christians who've gone through similar things, but the other kind of unexpected benefit. I, I remember I would have um, participants coming up to me and they said, thank you so much. For the first time I've had a full eight hours of sleep. Wow. Because back in their villages, they're staying awake because the attacks they're coming at night oftentimes. And they're having to be on guard. They're having to be hyper-vigilant all day long and then into the night. Or the village will send out certain 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 folks to keep watch, as as we heard about in Cameroon. This is what happens after a while it wears them down physically. And so we bring them to capital cities oftentimes and it's almost like a retreat you know we're we're, we're giving them we're giving them good meals sometimes they're not even getting good meals in these areas because they've been cut off from the supply lines that's one of the things we don't oftentimes think about is an effect of of these jihadist attacks sometimes they you know they shut down the roads so these folks come they're hungry they're tired and we give that to them and they leave not only with full stomachs well-rested but with some really good truths that they can pass on to folks in their churches.
0: Are there some particular scriptures that consistently come up in, in helping people wrestle? You mentioned the, the passage in 1 Corinthians. I, I immediately think of the Psalms or so many of the Psalms. David is crying out to God saying, hey, how could you let this happen? Or why is this happening? Or please help me. Are there some scriptures that just consistently provide encouragement and help to our brothers and sisters who've endured trauma?
1: There's, there's a lot, fortunately. In, in, in scripture, with the example of Paul and Peter and so many others, they have really given us a, 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 just a, a wonderful blueprint for how to endure troubles in a very godly way. Uh, the, the, one, the one I go to oftentimes is, uh, is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And oftentimes, even in the face of such horrific attacks, unspeakable acts of violence, I try to remind our brothers and sisters that our lives here are temporary and that eternal glory awaits us in heaven where there will be no more hurting, where there will be none of the things that they've had to battle for so long um, here in this fallen world.
0: It's interesting. I I think of that verse, the, the light momentary affliction but then I think of that woman in, in Central Africa or that village where every single woman was was sexually assaulted. It doesn't seem light or momentary. It just seems like that's a hard thing to balance.
1: Yeah. And, and that's a very good point. You would never, ever want to use a passage like that to invalidate. And sometimes we make the mistake of doing that. We say, you know, God won't let you experience more than you can endure and things like that, that if you're the one experiencing the hardship, it can almost feel belittling. Um, this is where this is where Scripture is wonderful. And it has a place. It, it gives us a connection to the suffering endured by the apostles. Most importantly, the suffering endured by Christ. But there is a place for mourning. Yeah. There is a place for hurting. There's a place for not being right. And the reality of the things that we see in the field, Todd, is that some of these folks what they've gone through is too terrible. You can restore them on some level, hopefully spiritually, but they might always have nightmares, but the hope they have is that it's not for for free turn for eternity.
0: Yeah. They will not have nightmares in heaven. That, that, that will not be a problem there. We're talking this week on voice of the martyrs radio with brother Philip. He is a field minister for the voice of the martyrs in West Africa. Philip, as we finish up, we we always like to equip listeners to pray, uh, and I think as you have shared some of the stories, there there are some obvious things we can pray for. But as we think about brothers and sisters who have experienced trauma because of persecution, because of their faith in Jesus Christ, how do we how do we pray for them? How do we hold them up in our prayers?
1: You know, when I go into these in these villages. You could call it perhaps a little bit callous, but I'm not really too worried about the symptoms, nightmares and things like that. I, I remember talking to a pastor. His village was attacked, and and you know they brought all the villagers out, put them in a circle, you know, held up the machete, threatened them all. And I asked the pastor what he was thinking. He said I was just praying to God that my villagers' faith will hold strong in the face. of Of such a horrific act of violence and I guess the prayer that I would have would be the same nightmares suffering this is part of living in a fallen world but what I can't live with is somebody being so badly hurt emotionally that it impacts their relationship with God and so the perseverance um, of their faith that their faith will remain strong regardless of what happens Because we know in some of these areas that the attacks are not going to stop anytime soon. Some of these attacks have been going on now for for two, three decades. They're not going to stop. But we just pray that our brothers and sisters, their faith remains strong, that the church remains strong, and the church leaders remain resilient in the face of whatever may come their way.
0: Amen. And, And we do have prayer warriors who listen to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. They will lift up that prayer a second prayer question is, how do we pray for you and your team and, and the people that are providing this training? Because obviously, you're going, you're sitting down, you're hearing these stories, and that, that weighs on you as well. So how do we pray for you and, and for those you're working with? You know,
1: one of my, one of my biggest fears, and I, I've been doing this now in some form or the other now for over two decades, is that the stories will never grow old to me that I will continue to be shocked by, by violence against Christians, that it'll never just be another person who's been displaced or another woman who sadly has been raped, that my heart will be tender enough so that each and every story continues to move me the way they have over over these years. Um, because I find that when I'm in that place, I'm probably in, in the best position to be able to, uh, to, to help. So for that, of course, um, when you're going out in the field, it, it does take a lot of energy. Um, these are not easy places to get to necessarily. It, not always, the food isn't always very easy on the stomach uh, and, and things like that. And so a lot of times myself and my colleagues will, will leave the field you know, quite worn down physically from these experiences. And so just kind of the day-to-day sort of things, getting into the countries, getting the visas, being able to seamlessly travel within the country, being able to get to the places we need to go. These are some of the more just kind of common day-to-day prayer requests that really, really mean a lot to us when we're in the field trying to do as much as we can with the limited time that we have. And then I guess lastly, I would just say, you know, that God would give us words to speak we're speaking through interpreters oftentimes, we're speaking across cultures that God would give us words of encouragement to uniquely touch that person in their situation. Because I believe that it's only through the Holy Spirit that you can really make an impact of that kind. And it's not something that we're gonna do. No no amount of training, no, no amount of degrees is gonna give me the words to be able to speak to that person. It's only the Holy Spirit uniquely speaking through myself or pastors or, or other colleagues to say exactly what that person needs in that moment, or in other moments, the wisdom to know when it's when it's best just to sit back and let them let them speak. So that's what we're really looking for is those moment by moment um, tokens of, of discernment.
0: Amen, Philip. I, I'm so pleased that we had this conversation. I, like I say, when I heard you speak in chapel last year, I just was so excited that that you've brought this expertise to Voice of the Martyrs that we are helping brothers and sisters like those you have talked about helping them process the trauma and recover spiritually as well as emotionally. And, um, I'm just really thrilled that we have the chance to have this conversation. Thank you for being our guest this week on the voice of the martyrs radio.
1: Thank you so much, Todd. It's been a pleasure.
0: Well, it has been a joy to have you and, uh, bless you. I know it's nighttime in Africa, sleep well. And, uh, I want to encourage our listeners. I want to encourage you to pray. We've talked about specific ways that you can pray. I also want to encourage you to give. The Phillips work happens. We bring these pastors to these trainings because people like you give to support the ministry of Voice of the Martyrs. So I would encourage you, you can do that online at vomradio.net. I also want to encourage you to be back next week as we continue these conversations about how God is at work among our persecuted family, how they are ministering, how they are forgiving, how they are going on in the face of suffering and persecution and advancing God's kingdom in the midst of that. We'll have more conversations like that starting next week right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.